Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Good morning. Today is the day. It is the 24th of October, 2019. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm your host, Carmen LaBerge. Um, and I want to, well, first of all, I heard something there in the headline news at the top of the hour that I simply have to <clears throat> call into. Maybe it's not call into question, but if you're already not a religious person, if you're already expressly non-religious, if you already are not a person of faith, how how do you become less a person of faith over the course of time. Like that, that, what, are, what are you like more concretized in your denial? Like I, I, to to insist that something does not exist, to insist against God seems seems a fairly religious statement to me. So actually, maybe they're becoming more religious if they're becoming more insistent that God, in fact, does not exist. I don't know. It's just a thought. OK, uh, not not what I intended to talk about this morning. What I really want to talk about here in the couple of minutes that we have before our friend Ben Johnson uh, joins us. So I want to talk about Life Together. It, Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, if you've never read it, I'd absolutely commend it to you. Um, Life in Community, we've heard from lots of friends lately. Andrew Peterson comes to mind here expressly in in the conversation that I had with him. Uh, I want to say that was like Friday. Um, on his new book, Adorning the Dark, this conversation about community, like he recognizes that what he does in every area of his life, he does in community with other Christians, and so I want to I want to pause there um, because life in community, life together, is hard, but the alternative is no life at all. And so uh, I was reminded last night that we have this little weekly gathering. Our little small group from church gets together at the home of one uh, of a, of one of our members, and um, we spend time with one another in the Word and in prayer and in fellowship. And I was reminded last night. Um, during that gathering, just how much uh, the the reality of the body of Christ matters. And it doesn't just matter to me. I mean, like it matters. It substantially matters. And so if you are disconnected, if you are a, like a Lone Ranger Christian, you're trying to operate in the Christian life apart from the body of Christ, apart from the church manifest in this generation in, in peculiar and particular ways, um, it's time to reengage. And I know it's hard I know it's challenging. I know that in many ways the institutional church has hurt you in the past and you are skeptical that it could be good and godly and gracious and affirming. Um, but it's, it's the accountability and the, and the fellowship into which we are called as believers in Jesus Christ. We are not actually just called to be independent Lone Ranger Christians. We are called as members of a body. And so we were looking together last night at Romans 12 and the reality of the body and its interdependence and mutual affection and varied gifts. And it made me recognize again um, just how precious God's design of the church really is and how organic it is and how life-affirming it is. And so if you haven't read Romans 12, verses 1 to 13 lately, let me encourage you to do so. Um, it, it talks, obviously, at the very beginning, Paul is appealing 
therefore, to his brothers and sisters, that's that's now you and me, by the mercies of God, which is everything that's in chapters 1 through 11 of the Book of Romans, um, he's appealing to us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. That sounds very individualistic. That sounds very much about me as an individual before God in Christ. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Again, that sounds very um, individual and personal. Uh, and by testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Again, that seems very individualistic and personal. But then in verse 3 and all the way through verse 13, and actually carrying on thereafter, the discussion is really about the body and our individual place in a body. For as one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And so um, I want you to consider today how you are a member of, of one another. As Christians, we are members of one another. I hurt when you hurt. I celebrate when you celebrate. I cry out when I hear you cry out. And so life in community, although it's hard and although it requires us to be vulnerable um, and, it, and it provides a way for us to be accountable, it's also the only way to live as a Christian in the world today. All right, next up. A brother in Christ, Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute, will be back. He and I are going to talk about the teacher strike in Chicago. We're also going to talk about the rising use use of euthanasia among those who uh, have determined that it's their own choice to when when they should die. So those are the topics we're going to cover next with Ben Johnson. Welcome back. So uh, when we when we look at what is going on in the city of Chicago, uh, hopefully you are aware at this point that there is a teacher's strike. In the midst of all of that, one of the Democratic candidates for uh, for president, Elizabeth Warren, um, actually released her K through 12 education plan. I felt like it was a good reminder that that we here in the United States of America, um, we have a a federal engagement in the education process. But I am I am familiar with a lot of people who um, do not send their kids to public school. Now, let me go ahead and say I'm a product of a public school education. But I also recognize that if we had lived in a neighborhood different than the one we lived in, if our if the schools in our area had not been uh, of the quality that they were, my guess is that my parents would have worked very hard to provide for my sister and I an education that was different than what was being offered through public education. Not everybody has that option. And, and that's what we're going to talk uh, today with Ben Johnson about. So, Ben, welcome back. Thanks so much, Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So um, talk with us about public education. Talk with us about the point of educating uh, every generation of Americans. And then maybe give us an assessment of public education today, which I know is like sweeping and really hard to do. But just sort of give us your sense of things. Sure. Well, the point behind education, obviously, is to raise everyone to the full use of the intellectual faculties that God has given them. Every one of us has been given the ability to rise to uh, uh, the highest possible uh, ability that uh, that we have with the uh, intelligence that has been implanted with us at our birth. And uh, as we hone those skills and great teachers come into our lives, we learn new information, we develop new skills, and then uh, not only are we able to become good citizens of our country because we're steeped in history, logic, uh, rhetoric, 
uh, economics and, and uh, the principles of civics, but then also we can go out and found and take part in economic life and serve others uh, in the way that we live our lives. So that's the purpose of education is uh, to enable us to use uh, our faculties to the greatest extent possible and to have wisdom in exercising the fruits of the spirit. Uh, the public education system has been, in this country, compulsory for more than 100 years. Uh, everyone has got to send their children to public schools in one form or fashion uh, or to uh, provide for them uh, an education outside of the public school system. When that's going on, uh, obviously, the, uh, the quality of the local public school is a major factor and in Chicago right now, one of the largest uh, school systems in the entire country, uh, they're on their eighth day of a public strike over certain conditions in those schools. And uh, so the question is whether that serves students or, or whether uh, the demands that they're making can be met. All right. And so just we're just going to take Chicago um, into focus here because that happens to be the city in the country where this is taking place. But you and I could be having this conversation um, about any number of places across the country where either those who are um, the recipients uh, or the participants in the education process, the students and their families, and or the teachers and administrators um, on the other side are dissatisfied, currently dissatisfied with what is uh, with what's happening in terms of of public education. And so we're going to we're going to use Chicago. We're going to take Chicago into focus here again, because it is the city where this is taking place. Um, It does not sound to me like the city of Chicago can afford to meet the demands of the teachers there. And the teachers are demanding things like um, housing vouchers in order that um, they can have subsidized housing to live in or near the communities where where they serve as educators. Um, They're also demanding, um, you know, a, a really, really significant pay increase, which it does sound like the city is trying to accommodate. But the reality is when you do the math, the city literally can't afford this. So what happens when the demands of public sector workers um, exceed the ability of of a community to to meet their economic demands? Well, you see what's happening right now, which is that uh, if if they have a certain kind of union representation, then the the teachers will go on strike. And you have the uh, Chicago public students, uh, about almost 400,000 students uh, who have spent eight days outside the classroom. And uh, meanwhile, you have uh, the uh, public Chicago Teachers Union as well as SEIU, which represents certain other employees in the school system on strike, making demands that, as you alluded to, just can't be met. Uh, where, where all this comes from, there's a new uh, school funding program that's been uh, put in place in the state of Illinois. And so a billion dollars has come into this uh, school system. Now, that sounds like good news. The uh, Chicago teachers made demands that total $1.1 billion. Uh, and the, uh, the mayor, Lori Lightfoot, just uh, said that not only is, is there an issue in terms of the pay increase, which she's doing her very best, she's offered a billion dollars over three years uh, in pay increases, but they have, and, and this is true of the entire state of Illinois, they have massive underfunded pensions. Uh, it's $134 billion across the state of Illinois, $28 million in the city of Chicago, and uh, several billion in uh, the Chicago Teachers Pension Fund. So she took that billion, Seventy-five percent of it has gone into just funding the pension that uh, the teachers are going to collect when they retire, 
which is massively underfunded. So that money's been spent, and uh, yet they're demanding another $1.1 billion. Uh, this, this harms students. This harms their education. This is, the again, the eighth day that they've been out of school. This is an underperforming district to begin with. 25% of students don't graduate in the first place. SAT scores are 56 points below state average. These are, these are students who can't afford to miss a single day of education. And so really what, what this looks like is that the, the teachers are looking out for their own economic bottom line. Uh, I think that this is immoral. It's simply wrong for teachers to sacrifice the students' education. And a uh, matter of fact, I believe that across the public uh, sector, it's just as uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt did, Franklin Roosevelt said it's impossible for uh, militant union tactics to take place. It's intolerable. It's, it's uh, intolerable and unconscionable that such things would take place. You can't have a public sector union because their employees are the voters and the people and the government that's been duly elected by the people. So uh, you shouldn't have these sorts of things, but particularly not a strike that's affecting the education and the future of our country. All right. I mean, our list of concerns related to this could go on and on, like who is supervising these 400,000 students who are uh, now out of the classroom for the eighth day. Um, I do think it's an opportunity. Let me just say, if you live in a community where teachers go on strike, that is a great opportunity for local congregations to literally throw open their doors. Um, So if you hear that there is a a strike, a school strike in, in your community or in your city, let me encourage you to be prepared literally on a moment's notice um, to volunteer, to go to your church, and to um, literally have an, uh, an open-door day for students because parents are in a panic. Parents still need to go to work, and that means that there are just a lot of kids unsupervised, um, and, and we can actually provide you know, a, a positive uh, stopgap to some of that in these communities. And there again, um, certainly the safety and concern um, for the welfare of children is top of list, so be, be sure that all of the volunteers related to that um, are properly screened to be child care uh, providers in your congregation. All right, Ben Johnson and I got to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about a euthanasia story from uh, from across the pond. But the reality is these right to die conversations are are happening here in America as well. So do you have the right to take your own life? That's the conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is my right. All right, continuing my conversation now with Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. You can check out what he is working on at acton.org. You can also find him on Twitter at The Rights Writer. Um, ben, this, um, this headline news story out of, uh, out of Belgium, the Belgian Paralympian gold medalist, gold and silver medalist at the 2012 Paralympics, two further medals in Rio in 2016, um, uh, Marika Vorwort was um, was diagnosed with incurable degenerative muscle disease. Our understanding is that you know she was living with not only chronic pain but increasing pain, um, and she took her own life through you know state sanctioned euthanasia. And so uh, I wanted to lift this story up because. Uh, I will tell you that Christians, I have heard Christians absolutely rationalize the taking of a human life under such circumstances. And so I feel like we need to have 
the conversation about life and our rights related to life. Um, because if ever there was a story where a person could say, you know what, she already fulfilled her life's purpose, she'd already achieved great things, um, she had a degenerative incur- incurable muscle disease, she was in a lot of pain, she was in her right mind, and at 40 she took her own life. Tell me why, as a Christian, that is not the way I should be thinking about this. Yeah, I think when, whenever these cases come up, these, these put Christians very much on the defensive because we know that uh, the Bible says thou shalt not kill, and that includes everyone, including self. So uh, that doesn't simply mean take, not taking the lives of others. It also means that uh, God is the only one who has the power of life and death. He holds that power in his hand, and he wields it over our life. And he has appointed the time and the number of our days, which means that uh, if we have not come to a natural end of life, that we have not fulfilled our purpose just yet. There's something else that he intends for us to do. And that very well may be uh, to persevere in prayer. Uh, I, I think that anytime these conversations happen, we have to begin with incredible support and sympathy for those who are suffering and to acknowledge the very real uh, and incurable pain that, uh, that Marika Fervord was suffering. Uh, she, she was in tremendous suffering every day of her life, as many people are. Uh, however, we also have to recognize, particularly where she is in Belgium, that's not always the legal case. Uh, Belgium has uh, has authorized euthanasia on cases of people who are suffering from mental illness that, quite frankly, could have could have simply been cured had they had uh, continued intervention with this person. People who were suffering from depression uh, and uh, who, who um, were not suffering from any physical ailment. Uh, there have also been there was a Canadian uh, medical journal study that came out a few years ago about specifically about Belgium that found that half of the nurses who performed euthanasia had admitted that they had uh, engaged in and this is a quote from the study terminations without request or consent, which means that uh, these are not euthanasia; these are state-sanctioned murders. So that's the slippery slope that we're dealing with: is that uh, you have nurses who think that they're doing what's in the patient's best interest, but the patient has not necessarily requested to be euthanized in any way, shape, or form. So we're on a slippery slope to the state determining when our lives should end. Let's uh, let's direct people to the ministry of Johnny Erickson Tata. Um, let's be sure people have access to that at Johnny, that's J-O-N-I, johnnyandfriends.org. You can also listen to um, Johnny's uh, radio program, at reviveourhearts.com. Uh, Johnny and I have talked on several occasions about this topic, and uh, and I know that she has written substantively in the area of, of suffering. In fact, she even has like a Bible that is designed for people who are in chronic pain and suffering, particularly those uh, suffering with incurable diseases. And so let me just encourage you, if you're listening right now, and you need help and you need hope in this area, in this conversation, if you need equipping to have this conversation with a loved one, to, to live with endurance, what we recognize is absolutely a desperate, deep valley. Um, we want to encourage you to take advantage of the resources available through our friends um, at, with, in ministry with, uh, with Johnny Erickson Tata, and you can find it at johnnyandfriends.org. Um, ben, you and I probably should just leave it right there today. I, I wanted to you know, extend this into a conversation about the rising rates of teen suicide in our country. But it's such a heartbreaking topic. Um, maybe we'll just we'll just settle here uh, where we are and return to that topic at a later time. It, it is a heartbreaking topic and, and one that uh, uh, I think we have to tie very much to the story we heard at the top of the hour about the lack of faith uh, that mm. is deepening in our society. They are not unrelated topics.
Absolutely. Ben Johnson, thank you so much. You guys can find him at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. You can also find him online at The Rights Writer. We'll be right back. All right, next up, I'm going to have a really like intensely practical conversation with uh, Pastor Daryl Crouch. And uh, about, uh, he, he posted a piece at Crosstide, um, which caught my attention and I think uh, scratches a real itch in, in Christian conversation today. I am sure that, like me, you have noticed there's a lot of biting, a lot of biting lately among evangelical Christians. And there's, um, there's a fair amount of biting related to women who are in high-profile uh, teaching ministries, like Beth Moore. There's a lot of biting related to um, whether or not particular... Uh, re- well, I'll just call them uh, convictions related to maybe secondary issues as opposed to primary issues in terms of uh, what is, you know, the saving knowledge of the gospel. And so how we treat one another as evangelical Christians or as Christians in general in the culture is is a conversation that we need to have because how we treat one another is not only a part of our public witness, it is about the health and welfare of the physical body of Christ in the world today, the church, his bride and how we treat her um, in terms of how we treat one another. So next up, Daryl Crouch. He's the pastor of Green Hills Church, and uh, he and I are going to talk about a piece that he has written called An Antidote for Evangelical Tribalism. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, talking now with Pastor Daryl Crouch. So um, we we love to talk with pastors about what's happening not only in their communities but in their hearts and how they're bringing the faith to bear on the conversations of the day. And uh, a a blog I would describe it as a blog post. I don't actually know if that's the way he would describe it. An article that Daryl has posted at crosstide.org addresses a topic that is relevant to each of us and all of us. So, Daryl, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Carmen. It's hey, great to be with m- you. Well, it's wonderful to have you here. And um, maybe let's start with just an observation about how Christians t- treat one another in public spaces, on social media, um, but also in, you know, in events where other people are posting what we say on social media. Well, we've, um, we may have uh, at some point jumped the shark a little bit and, and uh, decided that, um, uh, that these platforms allow us to push pause on Jesus's command to love one another and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Uh, for whatever reason, we've uh, been, we feel like we have a little bit more permission today to, um, um, to, to be unkind or to be uncivil toward those who may differ from us um, on uh, secondary issues or even on first-tier issues, uh, there's still a way to love one another in a way that uh, reflects the, the character of Christ, I think. Well, and I loved, uh, I loved this piece that you posted at crosstide.org, and we're going to direct people to it. Um, and I want to actually sort of begin where it ends, which is identifying that we have a real enemy and we and, and that real enemy is the real enemy of each of us and all of us. So let's start there. Well, I think one thing that evangelicals um, must understand, I, th- I think we have to come to, to terms with the fact that we have more in common than we have in, di- in our differences. 
and that uh, our common enemy is Satan, sin, and death, and he desires to ravage and to destroy. And we, um, we really have a lot in common as we come around the cross and uh, gather around the cross and herald the cross of Christ as, as the real hope and, uh, for, for our neighbors and for our nation and for the world. And uh, I think if, if, if we, we may miss our moment, Carmen, if we don't come to terms with what's really the, the main thing and who the main enemy is and what his intent is. So you lead off with um, a really provocative question. You say, is it possible that in our efforts to be true to the foundations of our faith, evangelicals have actually become unfaithful Christians? What do you mean by that? Well, Paul and the New Testament writers, Jesus modeled this every time um, the disciples in their efforts to figure out their place in the pecking order Every time they attempted to to uh, elevate themselves, Jesus reminded them that those who are the greatest are really the least. And then he said, I want you to follow me to the cross. I think we have um, in our efforts to uh, defend the truth, which is very important, uh, we have uh, maybe neglected uh, the fundamental calling to love one another. And uh, Paul said in, in in his letter to the Corinthians, um, listen, you, you may have the voice of an angel, but if you don't have love, this is not going to work out. And you are not reflecting the heart of God if we don't love and respect other image bearers um, as we uh, share the gospel and as we share the truth uh, and as we work through difficult issues. Uh, one of the things that's important, I, I think, is that secondary issues are not unimportant issues, uh, but if we're going to uh, work through them well and make a path forward, we 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 must um, love one another and treat one another as fellow image bearers. Okay, for for people who are listening who may not have ever thought about secondary issues or distinguishing secondary issues from primary issues in terms of uh, of the gospel, what are you talking about when you distinguish? you know, what I would describe as primary or essential issues and those that are non-essential where there can be grace? Well, there's there's a lot of history behind all that, and there may be some folks that uh, denominations exist because we've worked through those things and we've come to different places on what's primary and secondary. Uh, Baptists are very adamant that baptism uh, is a primary issue. Um, and so th- that's a fair conversation to have. I think historically speaking, uh, and Martin Lloyd-Jones worked through this, I think, and did some good work in that area as well. But we understand that Jesus is the Son of God and that um, he is the, was born of a virgin, and he lived a sinless life and died an innocent death, rose on the third day. Uh, Paul outlines the, the gospel message in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, we, we also historically have uh, held to the inerrancy of Scripture, for example, in my particular Southern Baptist tribe. We hold to the inerrancy of Scripture. There's other things that are outside of what we would consider our core and our doctrinal convictional uh, statement that um, there's room for debate. We believe in the second coming of Jesus. We believe that's core, for example. But the timing of the second coming of Jesus, um, whether you're a post-millennial or amillennial, pre-millennial, those are those are secondary issues that don't have to divide us. We can work through them, and we can 
have conversation about them, but they don't have to divide uh, divide us. Um, the, the issue of complementarianism and egalitarianism, uh, those are not necessarily those, those are not core issues of our faith. We we do, uh, for example, in my tribe, we we have convictions about the role of women in ministry, um, but uh, there, there's um, there's sometimes the, the idea, Carmen. I think that if if we have differences on these secondary issues, or the we have nuanced positions on some of these things, um, then that mean that must mean that we're drifting away from the faith, and that's not necessarily the case. Uh, Calvinism and Arminianism, for example, that's a for some people that's a core conviction, but it doesn't seem to be the central theme of the Scripture, um, and and it doesn't and it's not in the core. Of, uh, of my tribe's doctrinal statement, for example. And so we have we give a lot of liberty on where folks are on the spectrum of Calvinism to Arminianism. And we can love one another through all that and, and hearty debates that are productive, that help illuminate the Scripture and help us to grow in grace together. But they don't have to divide us. So one of the things that you do in this piece is that you list seven um, seven mm-hmm. costs that we pay uh, in terms of people of, of faith, and one of those is that factions reveal a yet unformed character among people who should be mature in Christ. Number two, mm-hmm. factions steal from us the joys of Christian fellowship. Well, there's no doubt about that. Factions make it more difficult for lost people to receive salvation in Christ and for new believers to grow in Christ. That, for me, I mean, I, the, the the list of seven is important, and we want everybody mm-hmm. to go and read it at crosstide.org. But that one, for me, um, is really essential. I feel like our public witness as Christians to non-Christians is compromised when we are publicly fighting with one another and biting one another over things that are indeed secondary issues. We are we are missing our moment, Carmen. I, I'm, I truly believe that. And uh, every new generation needs to see the beauty of the gospel and even the glory and wonder of the essentials of our faith. They need to see that. And instead, I think we've often become distracted um, by um, by our pettiness. We have, as Jesus said, uh, spent our time straining at gnats while swallowing the camel. Uh, we, we When we're missing our moment and our moment in this critical time in our culture— um, uh, this new generation needs to see the beauty of the gospel more than ever before, and perhaps some evangelicals have become bored with it and uh, gone on to other um, what I believe are idols of our heart um, uh, that, that uh, amount to secondary or second-tier issues. All right. When we come back, um, Daryl Crouch and I are going to continue this conversation. We're going to actually uh, we're gonna look at four steps— that for our first steps in a positive direction related to this. Um, And then we're going to bring some of this conversation to bear on particular issues in the culture today. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I love to spend an afternoon with a cup of coffee and a jigsaw puzzle. Once I start, it's almost impossible to tear me away. Hi, I'm Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. You know, it's such a fun challenge to complete a puzzle, to connect each individual piece, a piece that's worthless on its own, to make a beautiful picture. And when I need some help, well, I take a look at the cover of the box. Then I can see how each colorful piece fits into the bigger picture. It's true money and finances can be a puzzle, too. There are many different pieces, each one a way to connect your finances with your faith. 
like your monthly expenses, emergency savings, donations to your church, your needs in retirement. So how do you pull all that together when there's no box cover to give you hints? One option is to talk to a financial professional. They can help you make sense of the pieces so you can create the big picture that reflects your faith. This is Callie Breeze with Thrivent. Continuing my conversation with Daryl Crouch. He is a pastor, and he has uh, a post at crosstide.org that caught my attention, and, uh, and we are unpacking it. It is the antidote to evangelical tribalism. And so I would love to just walk through, uh, assuming that we can agree on these destructive, uh, destructive costs that we have, uh, that we have talked some about, um, what are some positive steps we could take forward? Yeah, I think there's there's a number of things that we can do, Carmen, and there's not just one one thing or or just one group of things. I think it begins with an attitude of our heart that we do view one another with uh, with generosity, that we do view one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, for example. And um, so I've I've outlined a few things uh, there in the post. Uh, I I think understanding what our core convictions are and being firmly established in the faith there. Um, and, and, and driving hard after those uh, is really important. Uh, but then uh, if that is the case, then uh, why would we allow other secondary issues to divide us? Sometimes I think evangelicals and pastors and church leaders, for example, will, will say these are our core beliefs, but then they'll shepherd their congregation to focus on minor issues or secondary issues, and it becomes very divisive and very destructive. And so uh, for example, I think in our church settings, we uh, do well when we and we walk in wisdom when we um, lead our people who uh, may have very engaged theological interests, but lead them back to the to what we would consider the core. And so, uh, I think we can say to our people sometimes when they get crossways with one another over secondary issues that everything doesn't have to be a thing. Uh, every issue doesn't have to be a dividing issue. We can have differences that don't divide us and then don't uh, sabotage our love for one another, or our effective witness um, in, the, in, in the culture. And so I think as, as pastors, one of the things that we can do to begin with in the public space is say, these are the core things I believe, and so I'm going to be firmly rooted in those, uh, but I'm not going to allow these other secondary things that are important I'm just not going to allow those to divide us. The second thing that you uh, that you talk about here is focusing our personal influence and energy on the centrality of the gospel. Um, I've heard Andy Bannister uh, say something similar, and he is like, "Get get to the subject of Jesus as fast as you can." We must talk about Jesus. That's so good. I mean, we we must. His name must be on our lips. And I find that when we're talking about Jesus, uh, he crowds out uh, division. He does not, there's not room. He just didn't allow it. Even in the post I mentioned that those the disciples that he brought along, they were very different. But we just don't see that, that he addressed those things. We just don't see that those were a thing. And uh, when we're following Jesus, those other things uh, that are important about us and we're, we're, we're designed in a way that we should celebrate, it's very unique. All of us have a different bent. Different pastors in the public square have a different uh, voice and, and role and so on, and we should celebrate those things. 
but uh, requiring everyone to be uh, passionate and convicted in the same way about certain things as we are is just seems to be destructive um, and uh, is disillusioning, uh, brings disillusionment, uh, disillusionment, that's the word, to, um, uh, to the watching world and uh, to the next generation. They, they really don't have a lot of patience with that. You talk also about building and encouraging me- meaningful friendships with people um, with whom we disagree. I think I would add to that people who are very different from us in terms of their social location and therefore the way they Absolutely. see things, even as Christians. Uh, and then you do talk about you know, engaging in vigorous debate on the secondary issues in ways that promote love. I think that is essential as well. I want to get to um, the questions uh, the list of what might happen mm-hmm. questions at the end. And the reason that I want to do this is I think there's real power in learning how to mm-hmm. ask really good questions that move a conversation forward. And so just talk with us of, about some of these what might happen questions. Well, I, I think that I think that what I was hoping to get to was to cast a bigger vision for uh, evangelical witness in the world. And uh, I, I think if we really care about our neighbors and we really care about one another, then then we'll ask some difficult questions that promote love and promote conversation around important things. And when we uh, when we get uh, tripped up in secondary issues, uh, use that word a lot, or tertiary issues, uh, we uh, find ourselves um, missing the opportunity to love our neighbors. Uh, I also think, Carmen, it's really important as we um, walk through this that that the people that we're talking about on social media or the people that we're talking about on the platform they are made in the image of God they are someone's uh, daughter they are someone's son they uh, could be our church member uh, I think sometimes as church leaders we uh, in the public spaces we, we we have a lot more grace and generosity for folks that we're shepherding than for um, uh, than for uh, people that we don't know as well that seem to hold different viewpoints. And so I think we just have to ask questions about what we really believe about the gospel, what we really believe about God moving people from death to life, what we really believe about uh, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and whether or not that is uh, the fruit of the Spirit or is being um, borne out in our walk with Jesus. So there's so many other things I want to ask you about, um, but we don't have time today. So I hope you'll come back. I I would just like to talk with you at some point about, like, you have, um, uh, you gather together people from across your city and community from a really wide diversity of church settings um, in order to substantively address in very public conversation, let's say, uh, substance abuse and addiction. Um, You just did that recently. Um, And and so... um, uh, I would just I would just love to have some of those very like practical conversations about what local congregations can do. Like it is okay mm-hmm. for us to host public conversations about things that are hard to talk about in order that our people can start meeting each other, hearing from one another and learning how to talk about and address, you know, really challenging things in the culture. Would you be willing to do that? Carmen, I'd love to do that. And um, it's not only things that we can do, it's things that we must do. And hmm. uh, we, we may not all, be, uh, even among uh, cross-denominational lines and so on, we don't all 
believe the same things about everything, but we do care about the same things. We care about our neighbors, and we can come around to things that we care about. And uh, we really uh, are, have more in common, as I mentioned earlier, than we have it, uh, different. And uh, that provides a great opportunity for for people of faith, Jesus-loving people, to uh, serve our community well. Absolutely. All right. I am so glad to call you friend, and I am so glad that the enemy of our real enemy, uh, you know, right? Like you and I have the same That's enemy, right. and we're both uh, working against him today. <laughs> I love, All right. I, I love Dar- what you're doing. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. That's Daryl Crouch. You can uh, certainly follow him on Twitter at Daryl Crouch, but you can also find him at crosstide.org. We'll be right back. So Nat is on the board today. Thank you, sir. Sorry, I'm talking uh, I'm talking over you. And so I just want to say thank you for being here today and running the board in Paul's absence. Uh, no problem. Thanks for Nat- working with me. Nat is also known as the Falconer for anybody who uh, <laughs> wants to wants to track him down. Okay, um, so I really uh, I want to end this hour where we began, and it is a conversation um, about life together and life in community. Uh, our reading assignment for today is from Romans chapter twelve. Go read verses the first thirteen verses of Romans chapter twelve before you do anything else. So Romans twelve uh, one to thirteen. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.